in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Through him all things were made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. continue in our series on uh, Jesus is and in the Gospel of John and I'm going to read from uh, chapter 12. So if you um, open up your Bibles to John chapter 12 and I'm going to read verses 1 to 6. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived whom Jesus had risen from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. I was so keen to ask Michael to do the reading uh, today because for 35 years he's been encouraging me to open the word and opening the word uh, was just a bit symbolic for me today, so thank you very much for that. Jesus is extravagant love. Wouldn't it be amazing if we were extravagant and we got to write all over the church, like graffiti all over the church, all the things we know we're learning about Jesus through the book of John. It would be more than extravagant, I think. Uh, But today we're going to look at what does it mean to be extravagant? Now, you can't sort of go past the dictionary, really. And the dictionary says that being extravagant or extravagant action is going beyond proper limits in action, conduct, or feeling. So I like the way it broadens that out, the overdoing of something. Um, Let's put it in real terms. Let's get grounded. You know, your child is two. You spend an amazing amount of money on a birthday cake and all the tables spread. And you find that the two-year-old is fixated on the paper of the presents. (laughs) 
And then when they finally get a bit of the beautiful birthday cake, they just sort of smash it into the floor, you know. And the whole party seems extravagant for the situation. Or what about when you sort of say to your hubby on the way when he's going to get petrol at the shop, why don't you get a little, a little chocolate for us to have after tea tonight, you know. And he, and he comes home with, um, you know, handmade, handcrafted chocolates. Well, it's beautiful, but it's extravagant, you know. A survey chocolate probably would have done. But it's an extravagant action. I remember reading an extravagant story in this book, Don't Waste Your Life. And when we look at the word waste, it sort of has some connections with extravagance. But somehow extravagance seems kind of good, kind of good when it's appropriate. But waste seems like it's never good. So I want you to keep that in your mind as I read this story from this book. The church received news that Ruby, Ellison and Laura Edwards had both been killed in Cameroon. News that missionary church never wants to hear. Ruby was over 80, single all her life. She poured it out for one great thing, and that was to make Jesus known among the unreached, the poor and the sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor, pushing 80 years old and serving at Ruby's side in Cameroon. They were driving along to a to a meeting in a faraway village. The brakes gave way, over the cliff they go, and they're gone. Killed instantly, both of them. At that point, the pastor stopped and he asked his people, was this a tragedy? Isn't that just a total waste of life? Two lives driven by one great vision, spent in unherited service to the perishing poor, over a cliff, into nothing. He goes on to answer his own question. They died almost two decades after almost all their American counterparts had retired to throw their lives away on truffles and in Florida and New Mexico. He said their life was not a waste. That was a waste. Wow. Wow. And he goes on to say their life was extravagant love. Their life wasn't a tragedy, but rather it was extravagant love, what they did dying together. I read that a long time ago. I think I might have been in uni or just out of uni when I read that book. And I've always remembered that story. And that's why Jesus takes us, (laughs) the Bible takes us to stories that we'll never forget. I'm sure you've all explored this story. It's a very very popular story to do in Sunday school, to preach on. It has so, so many levels of meanings. And besides that, it's just beautiful, isn't it? It's just one of those 
beautiful moments that that John and and Matthew and Mark sort of led us in to the life of Jesus. Let's unpack this in one way, but I'm sure as I do that, I'd like all your memories of this story and all your feelings of what it would be like to tend to Jesus at this moment before his death and his burial. There's no doubt about it. It's extravagant love. The first thing comes to your mind was, but the perfume, it was, it was, it was just extravagant. But it's not just the perfume, isn't it? The fact that somebody wiped somebody's feet with the hair, the fact that, that it was in a big banquet, the fact that Jesus had entered their life in an amazing way. First thing we see that Jesus was there for a meal on his way to Jerusalem. Now, as soon as I say the word Jerusalem, remember I'm into instant recall nowadays? (laughs) Remember that game? The instant recall. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. What are you instantly recalling? The fact that he was going to his death, his certain death. And it wasn't a useless death. It was a purposeful death. As we see with those two missionary ladies, Not a waste, not a waste. And Jesus himself knew that it wasn't a waste, but he was on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus had just proclaimed that he was the resurrection and the life. And you think, had he? I I didn't hear that in the reading. But remember what happened in chapter 10 that John recalls to us that he came to Mary and Martha, the very people preparing the feast, And he rose from the dead, their brother who'd been dead for four days. And he too was at the feast. This is incredible. Can you imagine having a feast, having a party after seeing someone raised from the dead? This is indeed incredible. And thirdly, we come across a feast where people were full of gratitude. What do you think Mary would be feeling? What do you think Martha would be feeling? And let alone, let alone Lazarus. What, what would you feel like if you were dead and then made alive? And now I want your mind to wander because we've been stuck in the text, haven't we? I want your mind to wander and say, say to yourself, what does it feel like if you've been raised from death to life? Paul puts it this way, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, but because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Oh my goodness. We have the same feeling, the same emotion as Mary and Martha who had seen that, as Lazarus who had experienced that. And we too have been swept up into that. Oh, my goodness. Do you you get it? Are you feeling it? Is it instant recall for you now? 
So let's go back to the story. Let's not wander too far. Jesus was reclining at the table, as was customary. You see, Jesus was a part of life. Jesus was just a part of life. And he was reclining at the table. Mary and Martha, Lazarus too. But at this stage, there was something different. He had really declared himself as the son of God. He had done that by raising from the dead. He had done that by miracles. He had done that by his words. He had done that by saying, I am. I am. And all the people at the feast would know who they were celebrating with. Does that, does that thrill you? I mean, it thrilled them that they indeed were celebrating with not just their friend, but the Son of God. And I can imagine the thrill that was in their mind. And at that point, with that thrill, with that knowledge, with that understanding, nothing was too much for Jesus. Nothing. So this wasn't a random act like some crazy lady got, you know, got a lot of work, you know, money and sort of thought, oh, I'll just do something sort of totally radical and grabbed a bottle of expensive perfume. This was not like this. This was a lady that was convinced that here in her presence was the son of God. And there was nothing too extravagant for that. Nothing that she could do. Nothing. Not even the most expensive bottle of perfume. Not even that could be too good for the son of God. And so the pouring of the perfume over his feet. And by the way, in Matthew and Mark, it says over his head. Discrepancy? Is the Bible wrong? No, because the anointing unto death is a whole body anointing from the head to the feet. And that's what the Gospels lay out to her, lay out to us. And so what she was doing was not a crazy, extravagant love. It was something that he was worthy of. And she was entering into that. And at that point, as the perfume came out, can you imagine what amazing perfume it would be? I mean, it would be incredible. At that point, I imagine the smell just went through the banquet. No matter how many people were there, the smell, the fragrance of the perfume would just go through the banquet and it would remind people that someone was being anointed even unto death. And at, your, at, at, at this point, your mind is going, recall, recall, instant recall. And the picture, the word picture of the fragrance of the Lord, the fragrance of that perfume being spread out over the banquet. You remember how Paul describes the fragrance Let's read it. 
But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphantly as captives in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. No longer expensive perfume, but we are the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the sweet aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the odour of death and despise. To the other, a fragrance that brings life. A fragrance that brings life. Make the connections, church. Because even though this was anointing unto death, we all know that it was the fragrance that brings life. And we too are caught up in that. Somehow it wasn't a one-off event. It wasn't a one-off bottle of perfume. You know, you use it and it's gone. <laughs> you know that famous bottle of perfume you got from your mother-in-law and then after a while it's gone? It wasn't that because the fragrance would keep on smelling. The fragrance would keep on giving through generation to generation to generation and here it would be today, us, the sweet fragrance of those who are being saved. Oh, my goodness. Okay, Mary, Mary, back to the text, back to the text. I couldn't find a picture for this and I didn't really want to because this is the part of the story where Judas pipes up and he starts to go, you know, it was one of those awkward moments. It's just one of those awkward moments. And he starts to go on about, you know, well, this is, this is wrong. There's poor around. Don't you know that perfume cost a lot of money? And all of those things. He began to complain and complain. And we knew his complaint would keep on going because Jesus died, Lazarus died, Stephen died. Many of them died in tragic ways after that. But at this point, we are told that money meant more to him than his Lord Jesus. We were made aware. But I love Jesus' response. I love it. He just simply alluded to Deuteronomy 15, 11. Everybody knows Deuteronomy 15, 11, right? <laughs> no, actually, we don't. We've forgotten it. But everybody in the context would have known that. And Deuteronomy 15, 11 says there's always going to be poor around you. And then it continues on to encourage the people of Israel to embrace the poor and not put them outside. To take on the poor, to tend to the poor and not put them outside. And that's what Jesus was alluding to. He wasn't, it wasn't an offhanded comment of, oh, don't worry, there's always poor people, just just live for the moment. It wasn't that. He was reminding them what God had put into the law right from the beginning and say, don't forget the poor, but look what's happening here. I'm so glad he reminded God's people to always remember the poor. And in fact, he was remembering that the poor when he died on the cross. Paul puts it 
so much better than I can put it. He says, Paul says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So he identified with the poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And he was saying, the poor's going to be always with you. The law says never forget it and don't put it aside. But I say to you that I'm going to become poor, says Jesus, so you in turn would become rich. Oh, my goodness, Mary, get back to the text. (laughs) Because you see, it's all one, isn't it? If anyone ever says to you, Oh, the Bible, you know, it's so, so wrong, so, so disconnected. Show them that the connections are beyond what any craftsman could do. 1,500 years, 66 books, 40 authors, and the connections are stronger than what a single craftsman could ever do. I love it. I love it. I hope you're feeling that today too. But I want you, for now, you're probably focusing on Mary. You might be relating to her. You might be saying, yeah, I I would love to know that extravagant love. I would love to be that type of servant. And as I look around the church, I I see many of you who are like Mary. (laughs) I do. I do. And different times, different memories of you serving the Lord in extravagant ways. I I look at the building and all of those things and it's extravagant that we don't sort of meet in a shack down the corner, isn't it? It's extravagant love. And, I, you know, I thank you that I'm not just reading a story, <laughs> but I'm seeing it alive and active, and you've probably got dozens of examples of that. But I want to ask you to change your focus for a minute. Let me tell you a little story. It's a fun story. That's what I want to tell you. During the week, it was book week, and everybody kind of, you know, dressed up. It's their favourite book character. And Michael dressed up as uh, Mr. Wrong. So he went to school, sort of looking like that, but skinny. (laughs) I couldn't elongate it enough. But yeah, he had a flower pot on his head. He had different coloured hands. He had different shoes, different socks. And he went off to school looking like Mr. Wrong. And he went into the grade four class, uh, you know, to get them to guess. I'm a Mr. Man, but which Mr. Man? Am I? First hand up. So he picked the little fellow. Well, what do you reckon? Uh, you've got your badge on upside down? Yeah, 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 yeah. But like, who am I? No, no, sir. You've got your badge on upside down. And Michael kept on saying, but I've got a flower pot on my head. <laughs> my socks don't match. I've got two different shoes on. But sir, you've got your badge upside down. For that moment, that little boy sort of had lost the focus of the whole event. He'd missed the flower pot on the head. 
the wrong shoes. He'd missed it. He'd lost the focus. And I, I don't think as I've taught this Bible passage that we've missed the focus. I hope that in, in many ways your service to the Lord Jesus is like that extravagant bottle of perfume. I, ho- I hope it is. But I want to take you to another focus now. I want to take you to the focus that looks in a different way and looks of the act of Jesus, what God did through Jesus as being the most extravagant love. In fact, I love how John puts it much better than I do. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished. Isn't that another word that goes with extravagant? See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. Let's, let's change the focus up for one minute while I end. See what great love the Father has lavished unto us. That love that is more expensive than the most expensive bottle of perfume. That love that is more expensive than the seats you sit in. Or that the service you do. Or that the giving you've given. That love that is lavished. Not held back like, you know, well you haven't been good today. I'm not, you know, you only get one lolly, not four. Not like that. The word lavish is extremely freeing and flowing. I love that. I love that. And as we finish, as we finish, I would encourage you to recall the story. I would encourage you to sit at Jesus' feet and whatever it takes to pour out extravagant love, whatever that means for you in your context, to the Lord Jesus who died for you. Do it. (laughs) Do it. But I'd also challenge you to change gears, change focus, and see that nothing you can do will match to the extravagant, wonderful, lavish love that the Father will give to you. I don't know where you're at at the moment, but I know many of you have experienced the salvation of the Lord Jesus in your life. You've experienced from death to life. (laughs) You've experienced it like Lazarus had experienced it. Thank the Lord for it. Go back to him. Many of you are hurting. I've talked to people over the time. I myself have been through some amazing times of hurt. And I grab onto that word, what love the Father has lavished onto us, no matter the situation, no matter the hurt. And I just encourage you, as I finish today, to go home to read the story again. To read the story. See, where, see, see what it says to you. And then change gears, change focus. And live and embrace the lavish love that the Father has given unto us. Let's pray together. 
So the band comes up. I just encourage you to think of that lavish love the Father has given unto you. I encourage you to think of the fragrance, which is the sweet perfume for those who are being saved. That somehow the perfume that was poured over Jesus' feet somehow gets translated into hundreds of generations and the power of the gospel today. How does that happen? It only happens because of the lavish love of God himself. I want you to think of the joy of Mary, Martha, Lazarus himself being raised from death to life and think of your own salvation. Thank you, God, for our salvation that truly raises us from death to life. Say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. And as you sit at his feet, say again and again, I want my life to be poured out as you, Lord Jesus, pour out your life for me. Amen.